Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, episode number 15. Hey guys, it's a new week and we are doing a birth story today. I interviewed Carly and she had a very cool birth story to tell. This is something that I know so many of you listening can relate to. She is going to be talking about her VBAC experience and not only just after having one C-section, but after having two C-sections. Carly's first two births were 19 months apart and very similar. They were healthy. She was in labor on her own before her due date, and she was pushing for a while, which then resulted in a C-section due to failure to progress from baby's position. For baby number three, Carly's original OBGYN told her that they would no longer support attempting a VBAC after two C-sections in a row, so she began searching for a provider who would evaluate her third pregnancy on its own merits, not simply because of a doctor liability. She did end up finding a provider who was supportive of her birth wishes, and she was super confident going into her third pregnancy. I'm not going to spoil the whole story for you guys, but it is miraculous, and I just had so much fun talking to her. After having her third birth, she now wants to share her story more because she struggled to find support and positive stories from other experiences of vaginal births after two C-sections. So without further ado, I am very excited to let you guys listen to Carly's story. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where we firmly believe in the power of education when it comes to giving birth. Tune in each week as we dive into pregnancy-related topics, expert interviews, and a variety of birth stories. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now, here's your host, educator, registered nurse, and fellow mom, Liesl Teen. This episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast was sponsored by Spinning Babies. Love them. So the word spinning in spinning babies means how babies move through the pelvis to find the most space to come down. What makes birth easier for baby is what makes birth easier for mom. The Spinning Baby's mission is to make physiological birth more accessible to birthing people and providers alike. For instance, they believe that being head down is only half the story. How baby's head enters the top of the pelvis correlates with length of labor and ease of labor. When facing forward, a first baby may not be able to rotate for a day or two. They offer daily activities to add comfort in pregnancy now, if you're still pregnant, and ease in labor later. Their daily essentials video is the easiest way to learn the habits and moves. Starting in mid-pregnancy is ideal. They also have an online parent class video that's offered on the website or in-person parent classes for later in pregnancy. The parent class video has lots of labor tips and techniques for comfort 
and it's also helped to design to help labor stay on track to help avoid cesareans simply because baby's not aiming into the pelvis, which is a very, very common reason why women need cesareans. Spinning babies helps being born easier. Look on the website for products or parent educators at www.spinningbabies.com. Another thing I love to tell people about, and I get this question all the time from people in my DMs and in emails that, you know, they talk about, hey, my baby's breech, what can I do? And I love to refer them to Spinning Babies Helping Your Breech Baby Turn ebook. It's a comprehensive ebook that's super affordable on their site, and it just tells you everything you need to know about your breech baby and how to turn your breech baby. Does your doctor or midwife require a baby to be head down before labor? Do they cesarean births for all breaches? Are you pregnant and hoping to avoid surgery? Then this Helping Your Breach Baby Turn ebook is for you. Prepare for an easier childbirth with this ebook, a self-directed six-day program for pregnant parents with a breach baby developed by a certified professional midwife. And listeners of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast can use the code MOMMY, that's M-O-M-M-Y, lowercase 15, M-O-M-M-Y 15, on the Spinning Babies online shop for 15% off your purchase of the Helping Your Breach Baby Turn ebook. And now let's get into today's episode. Hi, Carly. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It's great to have you. Yeah, yeah. Can you just start by telling listeners a little bit about yourself and your family and where you're from and what you do, all that good stuff? Yep. So my name is Carly Hill. I am 28 years old. I've been married to my husband, Kyle, for almost eight years, and we have three sons. I have Milo is four and a half, Shepard is almost three, and Jude is just a little over one. So there are 39 months between all three. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> busy, yeah. busy. <laughs> busy. All boys and all really little. So I am a stay-at-home mom. I was a teacher before I had them, special ed teacher, but now stay home. Mm-hmm. I have just a little side gig that I do at home in addition to staying home with them. I am a personal finance and budgeting coach, which basically means that I just talk with mostly women and a lot of young moms about bringing just confidence and clarity and managing their money, especially in the transition to staying at home and all the big changes that that comes with. So setting up budgets and long and short-term goals. So I get to do that kind of like what we're doing right now. I get to do that just from my home, chatting with people through the computer. So I love having an outlet in addition to being a stay-at-home mom to just kind of connect with people and use a different part of my brain than the part of the brain that uses, you know, does diapers and makes meals. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like what you do is so, so beneficial for people, but it's something that probably not a lot of moms really think about that they need to think about that sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> like for finances, sure. you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's awesome. Well, cool. We're doing a birth story today, guys. I guess we're going to, I mean, we can talk about all three of them if you'd like, or we can choose one. It does not matter. So yeah, if you want to, do you want to start with your first one and kind of talk sure. about your first pregnancy and yeah. getting pregnant and if you had any issues and all that good stuff? So let's yes. go back. <laughs> so all the way back. back. So my first and second pregnancy, pregnancy and labor and delivery were 
both almost identical. So first pregnancy, so smooth, so really easy. I mean, first trimester, I was, I felt nauseous and felt tired, but thankfully I'm very blessed to not be one of those people that really even got sick. So I was still able to teach through the whole pregnancy, no extra tests, no special diets, nothing. So really came into labor and delivery with that first one being like, okay, this is just going to be as much of a breeze as the first part was. And I just was really thankful for how easy those first nine months were, but then came into labor and delivery. Just think, you know, you have no expectations of what's actually going to happen. So with that first one, all the way, so he was born in mid-May. He was born um, two weeks before the school year ended and I was a teacher. So first one, I two days before his due date, I went into labor totally on my own. So it was a Sunday evening, started to feel contractions that were pretty spaced out, but definitely different than Braxton Hicks. Like I could kind of tell like, okay, at least my body is heading that way for sure. So that was Sunday night and kind of slept on and off through the night and could tell that they were kind of, they weren't like, I would say 10 to 20 minutes apart and totally could talk through them, but pretty regular. Mm -hmm. And then Monday, just continued to labor at home. Around lunchtime Monday is when I kind of felt that switch from like sporadic to more consistent and close together. Mm -hmm. So Monday afternoon was really when I was like around the eight minute apart range, continuously getting stronger, really had to stop when I was feeling one. So that was Monday afternoon and around 5 p.m. is when I finally called my midwife and, you know, said that the whole checklist they gave me of the five minutes apart, can't talk through them, all that kind of stuff was happening. And so mm-hmm. she was like, yep, let's go ahead and come into the hospital. Yeah. So arrived at the hospital around 7 p.m. on Monday night, went through triage, confirmed I was in labor. I was about at a four and fully effaced in triage. Mm -hmm. So they sent us on to a delivery room, chose at that point not to have an epidural. So labored all throughout Monday night through the night, kind of walking laps in the L&D floor, bouncing on a medicine ball, um, moving around a lot. I just found that that worked until they broke my water. I loved sitting on the medicine ball. So like sitting on the ball, kind of laying my head on the hospital bed, loved just having the lights out in the room, really quiet. So I didn't do any like music or anything like that. I just liked it to be really quiet and really calm. So that worked really well. Um, I mean, it was getting more intense all the time through the night. And then around like 2 or 3 a.m., I can't remember what it's called, but I had like a dose of new morphine, maybe, if that's what it's some medicine that gave me like 30 minutes of pain relief mm-hmm. <laughs> so I could get a nap. So I did that around 2 a.m. And then after I napped, they went ahead and broke my water and then it went really quickly after that in terms of my progression. So by like 7 a.m., super intense. By 8 a.m., I was fully out of 10 and ready to push. Nice. So that went really quickly and really smooth overall. I think I had built it up in my mind to be so unbelievably excruciating that like when I was in the moment, while it was bad, I was kind of like, okay, this isn't as bad as that. You know, I mean, yeah. like I just, I just kind of in my head thought, okay, you're going to feel like on the brink of death the whole time, you know? And so like when it was like manageable in some way, you know, and my one mantra that I said kind of for all three of them was you can do anything for one minute. Like that was just the one that really stuck with me. So I kind of just like to close my eyes and like be in my own head and just be telling myself you can do anything for one minute. That's awesome. Yeah. I was going to say, I kind of did the same thing where you're like, 
that's like a mental trick. I think this is what I say in my birth courses too. It's like kind of a weird mental trick, but you kind of, I remember doing this during labor where I was like telling myself, okay, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. It's going to keep getting worse. It's going to keep getting worse. And then like, eventually it never got worse. And I just, right. 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 (laughs) So I totally get that. (laughs) I think it was strange because I, and I remember my husband, because I said at one point, I was like, okay, this isn't as bad as I thought. And he was kind of like, what? And I was like, but I mean, really, because again, you just have no clue before you do it. And so there's just no, there's no precedent. Like you can't even compare it to anything. And so in the moment, it was kind of a relief of this isn't as bad as I thought. So that was like nine, eight, eight to nine AM was when it was kind of like, okay, you're out of 10. Let's start pushing. So I started pushing, doing all that. Um, I had no epidural, so I was able to move around a ton they were starting at that point around 9 a.m. to, as they were checking me, kind of talking about he seems like he might be posterior. So I did a lot of pushing up on my knees with my hands on the back of the bed. And like my midwife had said, that, that seemed like that was giving me more progress than any other pushing position. Definitely laying on my back was not working, <laughs> like just not seeing progress. Even when I was pushing, I remember saying, I just feel like I'm not doing it right. Like, I feel like I'm not, the energy that I'm putting into this is not producing any change. And so they moved me around a ton and, you know, and it was my first, so they were really patient with letting me push for a really long time. Around 1130, it had been about two hours of pushing. My midwife said that she wanted the OB in the group to come in and just check and see where I was at and see, you know, what she thought his position was. And he really was posterior. So they said sunny side up and kind of tilted to the left. So he was kind of at an angle, which was why she said, you probably feel like you're not making much progress because that's probably true. He's not really moving as you're pushing. So at that point, that was kind of, I mean, I kind of got started to get the sense of like, okay, here comes the options conversation, you know, like what are our options? So we started to talk through that. I asked, I was like, can I get an epidural and see if that would help or whatever? Mm -hmm. Um, And at that point they had kind of said, you know, you've been out of 10 for a while, you've been pushing. We don't think it would be the difference maker. Mm -hmm. So it was hard to have that conversation. Like I was pushing between, you know, they would ask a question, I would start to answer and I'd have to stop because, like you've even talked about before, it was such a reflex. I was just like, I just have to push. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So about 1130 was when we did decide to do a C-section because it had been two and a half hours of pushing with no progress. So that was at, I mean, at that point it had been about 20 hours of active labor. So I was so tired and just like, I was really not wanting to do a C-section, especially with my first, you know, just here, I, you know, like, what does this mean for other births? I was already kind of thinking down that line, but at the same time it was like, okay, well, this is the baby that I do have. I can't think about babies that I may or may not ever have, you know, so hypothetical babies, right? Yes. Yes. Right. Hypothetical babies can't trump the real baby that I right. currently have. So from that point on, it was like, okay, a C-section is best. So headed to the OR. I remember, I specifically remember them saying, which gave me a lot of comfort. It was two nurses talking to each other, but one of them was like, nope, not urgent, not emergent. And I, so I remember thinking like, okay, like that gives me at least peace that he's okay. Yeah. I'm okay. So Went to the OR, had to get a spinal because I had no epidural. So that was the time in the OR between 
going in there, especially going in alone, and then until like the final really took effect was probably the hardest time for me in that labor, just because, you know, like my support team was no longer in the room. And I, again, was still out of 10. So I remember sitting on the OR table and just kind of holding hands with a nurse and then the anesthesiologist behind me kind of working between my contractions and between my pushing. So he did the spinal block laid me down, waited a few minutes, did the whole poking test. Can you feel this? And I could feel everything he was doing. And it was like, in that moment, I had this fear of like, what if I can't convince him that I really can feel everything he's doing? So I remember really speaking up for myself and being like, I promise you that that feels like a needle, you know, like there's no numbing effect or whatever. So he waited a couple more minutes, did it again, still same thing. So they did sit me up and do a second. That one took effect so quickly. And I remember feeling like this really deep breath of like the pain finally subsiding and being like, okay, now I can do this. I can manage this. They brought my husband back in. And from that point, it really went smoothly. I mean, I remember laying there just feeling the relief of the pain being okay. And, and, you know, and knowing that, you know, he was about to be born and he was still okay. So he was born at like 1.30 in the afternoon on Tuesday. So arrived at the hospital 7 p.m. on Monday. He was born by C-section about 1.30 p.m. Tuesday afternoon. He was great. He was awesome. He was like eight pounds, nine ounces, came out crying good and all that good stuff. So that was really hard, I think, because my pregnancy had gone so unbelievably smooth that it was just kind of like I had the expectation of, well, that's just how labor and delivery is going to go. And especially, you know, because there was no indication up to that point, I really hadn't fully thought through the idea of a C-section. I kind of just thought like, well, there's a pretty small chance of that happening. And so Mm -hmm. I'm just going to more prepare for the natural labor side of things. So it was, I remember kind of just feeling in a fog of like, okay, that actually happened. Like I did the whole unmedicated labor, but then I also did the C-section. You got a little bit of everything. I did. I did. (laughs) Yeah. I kept telling people, I'm like, I literally did a whole natural labor, everything except him coming out. You know, like he was all the way there and it just didn't work. I mean, he was, and he even, when he came out, he had quite a big abrasion on his head from just where he was. So he had probably for the first month or two, he had a big like mark on his head that we didn't know like, oh, this could be, you know, like a birthmark or whatever, Mm -hmm. but it did go away within a month or two. And so they were like, yeah, it probably was an abrasion from just where his position was and pushing for that long So, I mean, once he came out, it was pretty clear that the C-section was what we needed to do. So really thankful for that. (laughs) Yeah. I was just going to say, it sounds like he was, it's hard to describe asynclinic to somebody who's like not on video. Like I'm not like explaining it on video. Uh Like I'm just talking about it, but it sounds like he was asynclinic where he was kind of coming down, you know, kind of on the side of his head or on one side of his head. And it wasn't like a perfect, like maybe his head wasn't. They said basically at the angle that he was, it made his head like bigger than if he would have been coming in the right angle. Um, So just like that cockeyed slant that he was coming at made it just so that like that head was not going to go through that pelvis, you know, in that way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We were just talking about this when I went to that spinning babies workshop that like a head down baby isn't always like flexion is very, very important baby's chest is very, very important. Right. Talking about labor because like that part of their head, the back part is so like the diameter is so 
much smaller than if you're talking about like the front of their head or the side of their head, you know, so that's right. Yeah. So and so like, he was, he was like not that way. way. <laughs> yeah, exactly what happened. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. Wow. So I wanted to ask you too, with your first son, how was your recovery since you labored for so long? Yeah. You had to have a C-section. Yeah. So of the three, I will say that that was the hardest one for sure. Because yeah. I mean, I just felt like, you know, my body had been through so much and almost, I mean, every part of my body had been affected basically because it wasn't yeah. like, you know, it wasn't like a scheduled C-section where I was able to feel rested and prepared, you know? Right. So recovery was really difficult, especially because I had labored without an epidural and then going into the OR, I know I was like flushed full of fluids so quickly. Yeah. So I was like, I retained fluid like unbelievably. Yeah. I mean, the first probably five days or so, I had to have help lifting my legs into the bed just because my legs were so full of fluid. And so because of that too, I did also deal with postpartum high blood pressure for like that first week or two. So I had no high blood pressure issues in pregnancy, but then just the combination of I think everything and the pain and, and the fluids and stuff I did for like the two weeks after having him have pretty high blood pressure and was really close to needing to go on meds and thankfully like I think as my fluid kind of flushed out then that blood pressure started to drop and so that was really rough because it was like mentally processing through everything that happened as well as just like physically being like I don't recognize any part of my body yeah. and learning how to breastfeed on top of that. So my thing I tell people now that I've done, you know, two C-sections now is I say after the first week, you'll feel like a human again. And after the second week, you'll feel like you. And after the third week, you'll be like, I can't believe I did that just three weeks ago. <laughs> and so I kind of like that I was kind of the, that was kind of the benchmarkers of like that first week is absolutely the hardest. Cause you're like, I don't even feel like a person and I even need help to get dressed and go to the bathroom and all that stuff. But then I remember like, okay, week one is done and I'm starting to feel like a person again. And then by the end of week two, I started to feel like me. And then by week three, I was like, okay, I'm at the grocery store by myself with baby and we're good. Yeah. Uh, you know, That's great. That's great. No, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's so concrete. I think for people to hear that, you know, obviously everybody's recovery is going to be a little bit different, but yeah, but no, I love that. That's like, so <laughs> That's well, and because I think I needed to tell myself that too, because it yeah. was like in the moment in that first week, you kind of just believe like, is this how I'm going to be forever? You know, right. like, right. is this how long is recovery going to take? And be, no matter how your birth goes, I think there's always that moment of like, okay, this is really different than I signed up for. But, you know, on top of that, to have like a birth that didn't go the way I was thinking and a recovery that wasn't really going the way I was thinking, it really, when that second one came around, it was so helpful to remember back and be like, remember with your first one. You felt like this the first time. You felt like this was how you would always be, but you weren't. That kind of timeline with my second one, you know, having gone through it once before, being able to tell myself that just mentally my recovery was so much easier that time around. That's awesome. Well, let's talk about how was your breastfeeding experience the first time around? First time around was not great. So he even, I kind of joke that he's four and a half now and he eats the way that he did when he was first born, which is like <laughs> almost nothing. And you kind of have to like force him to eat. Um, so that's how he was from day one. And that's yeah. still kind of how he is. So he was 
the kind of baby that, I mean, we several times had to just like syringe feed him express milk because he wasn't latching well. And yeah. so I did do like two or three sessions with a lactation consultant after he was born in the first couple of weeks, because when he went to his one week peds appointment, he was not back to birth weight. And he was just a little bit even lower than he had been at the previous appointment. Um, so I really, I think it was the same day I went from the pediatrician to the lactation consultant. The biggest thing I needed help with was latch. I just was not getting the right latch, the right angle, and just didn't even know. I felt like going back, you know, I could have hindsight, I would have done more prep for breast, at least as much prep for breastfeeding as I had with labor and delivery, where I think I was just so concerned with having a baby that I didn't think about, you know, okay, feeding him afterwards. That's so common. So many people say that. And I, I mean, as somebody who teaches like birth classes, you know, I tell people that like, yes, it's really, really important to prep for birth, but like the aftermath. Yes. (laughs) Meeting, you're doing that for so much longer. Yeah. And like a big difference that I didn't even think through was like in labor and delivery, I had professionals around me pretty much the whole time. And then with breastfeeding, you come home and it's 2 a.m. and it's you and your husband and neither of you have done this before. And so I was like, okay, like this is the part that I really should have studied up on. So I definitely like getting that help was huge because right away, I mean, I remember going to the lactation consultant and her actually latching him. And I remember instantly being like, okay, this feels completely different than anything I had done at home. And so getting that support was really helpful because like I said, trying to do that recovery from the C-section at the same time that I was learning the breastfeeding, it was just like, okay, I'm not figuring this out on my own. And so in between week one and two, I think we went twice to the lactation consultant. And then by week two, he was above birth weight. So I did have to use a nipple shield for probably six weeks, I would say. And then I weaned him off of that when he was just a little bigger, around six weeks, and then exclusively breastfed until he was like nine months, and then did a combination of breastfeeding and formula until about 10 months. And then at 10 months is when I got pregnant with my second, and then stopped breastfeeding at that point at 10 months. So yeah, really rough first couple weeks, but then it was kind of like the labor thing too. It was like a week or a month or two later, it was like, I can't believe it was ever that difficult, you know, because now it's just like, I can whip my shirt up and we feed him, we move on with our day where at the beginning it was this whole like process, you know? So I was really thankful that as hard as it was at the beginning, I, cause I did several times just in the midst of recovery think, okay, I'm just going to scrap it and do formula and move on, which is fine. But I really was like, you know, especially I think because of the way my birth had gone, I was like, okay, this is something I'm sticking to and I'm going to make this work. And so I really did feel like going to the lactation consultant was kind of my last, like, okay, I'm going to give this my last shot, get some help and see how we can do. And their help really did take me from thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to formula feed from day one to like, okay, I can breastfeed, like I can do it. So that was really exciting and a little bit of redemption just from the way I felt about the birth to the breastfeeding being able to be something that I wanted to do and also was actually able to. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Cool. Well, awesome. Well, I think this is a good transition into your next 
experience yep. in your next pregnancy since you yep. got pregnant right at, you know, about right at about 10 months. So, so yeah, they, how did that one go? So the pregnancy went exactly the same, super easy. The biggest conversation was that VBAC question. And like, was there anything, you know, any markers throughout the pregnancy that would indicate one way or another? I was with the same provider as I was with my first one, and they were supportive of attempting a VBAC. And so again, that pregnancy is so smooth and I'm really thankful to not have rough pregnancies because I did have, you know, a 10, 11 month old in the midst of first trimester. And so Very difficult. <laughs> it is, it is. Um, and so my older one was pretty patient and, you know, I think that's when right away it was like, okay, the expectations you have on TV time or snacks or whatever, just need to go out the window yeah, for a little on. bit. Exactly. Like you just do whatever you can to survive for him and for you. And mm -hmm. so we did that and he was, I was really glad to have, it was a nice time of year. I got pregnant with him in April and had him in December. Mm -hmm. So like that second trimester when you're all like happy and energetic was also in the summer. So we did lots of pool. I loved being in the pool in pregnancy. I bet. I bet. Um, yeah. That just always felt awesome. Awesome. Um, so I got to do that for most of, you know, second trimester and then all the way to fall. And then, so my due date with him was December 28th and I went into labor. So Christmas Eve, we had dinner with my dad's family and my older son Milo went to nap at my in-laws house while we were doing this Christmas party. And we went to pick him up at like 6 PM and we were like getting him dressed, getting with his coat on. And like all of a sudden the switch, I was like, I'm in labor. <laughs> like I went, it was so different from the first time. So the first time it was like almost a full day of like the, these prep contractions and, you know, like, okay, I think it's coming. And second one, it was literally like somebody flipped a switch and I went from no indication at all to like eight minutes apart. Like, woo. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this, you know, people say that the second one goes faster. And my experience was very true at that. Yeah. So we, I, you know, we were at my in-laws to pick him up and I was like, he needs to stay here because I'm in labor. So we went home, grabbed our bags. I labored for just a little bit at home, but I was like, this is progressing faster and I don't want to hang out here too long. So we headed to the hospital, like 9 p.m. So felt my first contraction at 6 p.m. Headed to the hospital at 9 p.m. And I, in triage, was fully a face at an 8. Um, so I, yeah, I was moving quick. And I remember they're like, all right, lay down on the triage bed and we'll come check you. And I was like, I think you need to check me now. Yeah. Um, so they did. And they were like, okay, you are at an 8. So they moved me really fast into a room. I did say at that point, different than my first, I did want an epidural because I was, like I said, that getting the two spinal blocks was probably the hardest part for me in the first one. And I was like, okay, if this does go the route of C-section, I just want the epidural to be there and be able to just be pumped up and go. Yeah. Makes um, a lot of sense. <laughs> so it did. But at the same time, they're like, well, honey, you're at an eight and he's in the, you know, the anesthesiologist was in a C-section. So they're like, we're not sure. So he, I did labor in the room for just a little bit and he came in when I was at a 10 and they were like, I don't know, she's at a 10. And I remember him like, I just have this vivid memory of him pushing in his cart and he was like, I hear somebody's at a 10. And I was like, I just like have this vivid picture of him as like my hero. I was like, oh, he's here. 
So he was able to do it and give me the epidural, even though I was out of 10. He was very quick, very painless. I mean, he was just, I kept calling him my best friend and I'm sure he's <laughs> called that a lot. <laughs> so he gave me that. And then one of the things that was just a fluke of the time of year was that because I went into labor on Christmas Eve, they actually had an OB filling in with the group that I had never met before. So that was a little rough of like, okay, I'm in labor and in walks this face saying that she's my doctor, but I've never seen her before, you know? Right. right. So, and I think that was just the nature. I was with a bigger group that had like several midwives and several OBs and you kind of just rotated around to all of them. But because she was a fill-in, I, I had never seen her. So that made me a little hesitant just because it was a brand new face and I was out of 10 and ready to push and it was a VBAC and all these factors. But she was really, you know, she was sweet and she was really, she wanted the VBAC to happen. I could tell that. So that was really, I'm thankful for that. So started pushing because I was out of 10. Epidural had not taken effect yet. So, but went ahead and pushed and, you know, I had done that before. So I was okay with that pushed for probably 30 to 45 minutes. And then she started checking his position and he was almost identical position to my first oh, one. Yeah. So tried a little bit longer. She even, I don't remember them doing with the first, but she did try to turn him while I was pushing. Mm -hmm. The epidural hadn't taken effect yet. And that was pretty excruciating um, just sure. to have her attempting to kind of turn where he was while I was pushing. So she tried that a few times and really did. I mean, I, like I said, I'm really thankful she did give it her best effort to make that happen. But same as my first, you know, he just wasn't, wasn't going anywhere. So I did go ahead and say, okay, let's do the C-section again because I remember, you know, I remember pushing and pushing and pushing with the first one and there was really never any progress. Yeah. So I did go ahead and do that. Um, and then... The epidural took effect, but we had pretty much already decided to have the C-section by the time the epidural took effect. So I was so grateful for that decision to get it in advance because then that OR experience was just completely different because yeah. I was calm. I was, ha you know, I was it like, was smooth. You didn't have to it was, up it was so smooth. Yeah. Yes. I didn't, there was nothing that had to happen between contractions or anything like that. So yeah. the C-section itself went even faster than the first one I remember. Yeah. And even just the experience of having done it before, it was like, I, I've been here before, you know, it was only 19 months before that. And so I just felt more calm and got to enjoy it more and kind of ask great. and be a little bit more of an advocate for myself of like, oh, if he's fine, I want him to be laid on my chest first and yeah. all that good stuff. So even though the second one, you know, didn't, I would say maybe end up the way that I was hoping to, it still yeah. was such a smoother experience than the first one. Yeah. And it was, I mean, from my very first contraction to the C-section being done was six and a half hours. Wow as compared to like 25 with the yeah. first one. So yeah. there was so, I mean, I remember being in the recovery room and being like, okay, I did have a C-section, but there are so many things that were so much better about this one. So the recovery was smoother because I was only in labor for six hours as opposed to 25. And, you know, I knew how to breastfeed. I had done that for a while. So that was really, even like, I remember them offering me the nipple shield. And I remember being like, I have done that and I am going to try on, on my own because right. that wasn't my favorite thing. And, you know, 
we, I remembered weaning him off was hard. So being a second time mom was fun. And yeah. I just, you know, I just felt like, okay, I kind of have more of, you have all of your ideals with a first time mom, but you don't have experience. And so now I kind of felt like I had with my first one, you know, they always call him the guinea pig. I had sorted through all of those ideals versus reality. And I just yeah. felt more, more in like, a realistic expectation. And so I really did enjoy my second experience a lot more. That's so that one was great. Again, even though it, you know, ended in a C-section, I still felt like I loved that experience. He was actually born on Christmas day. So he Aww. was, he was 12, 26 AM on Christmas. That's so <laughs> um, so yeah, that was fun. And he was the first baby born on Christmas. So they had an extra little gift for him. I still have this little onesie they gave him. So that was all really fun and kind of festive. And, and people love when I say like, oh, his birthday's on Christmas. People are like, oh, that's so fun. He's a Christmas baby. So uh, this is just side note. That uh -huh. I'm, like reading a post, I think it was an Instagram post about like moms who have December babies and Christmas and stuff. How do you guys do presents. <laughs> so we always, I know it's thankfully he's only like, he'll be three this Christmas. Yeah. So, so far he's kind of just like, Oh, whatever. Yeah. You know, like here's a gift. So actually in the C-section, the anesthesiologist was kind of chatting with me through all of it. And his wife's birthday was on Christmas day as well. And oh. he said, like, he said from the time she was like, six. She always celebrated her half birthday. Oh. Um, so she always did like a June like swim party and got yeah. to do, you know, sleepover. Cause that's what I kind of felt bad for him. I was like, okay, he can never have like a birthday sleepover cause it's Christmas, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure. I, I'm totally fine with just letting him kind of be the one to decide, yeah. you know, and the nice part is he'll never have school and then he'll always have a party. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, that's true. so it's kind of a built-in gathering and then, you know, we'll see, maybe we need just some time over the Christmas break. He could do a friend party a or little, if he yeah. wanted to do a half birthday, something. So, but it is kind of different because it's like you put so much time and energy into thinking about Christmas and gifts and all that stuff. And it's like, yeah. Oh, I, you know, I feel kind of bad. I'm like, Oh, it's also shepherd's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I try to do, you know, have one or two gifts that aren't Christmas looking, you know, that yeah. have like happy birthday paper on them and all that right. kind of stuff. So, but there's never a shortage of like desserts and, you know, <laughs> so, so it's definitely always a party for him. That's great. That's great. Well, awesome. Well, let's, I know your third one was different. Right. Yes. A little yes. different experience. So different. So, so different. let's talk about that and how okay. it went. <laughs> so third one was another 20 months after second one. So 39 months between all three. So when my second turned one, I found out I was pregnant a week later. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew, well, so I need to back up first. At my six week follow up with my second one at that provider, I asked, okay, I've had two C-sections. They both kind of went the same way. Yeah. What does that mean for future babies? Yeah. And she made the comment. She said, now we know you're a C-section mama is what she said. Mm -hmm. And I remember being really let down by that yeah. and just thinking like, I'm not okay with that answer. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, I'm only, you know, six weeks and all the hormones are still raging. So I just remember yeah. being like, oh, okay. So I asked her, I was like, well, what does your, 
you know, cause this was, like I said, a large group with lots of midwives and lots of OBs yeah. and they did have a group policy that they don't attempt a VDAC after two. <laughs> so I knew, you know, it's my decision to make, but if I wanted to go the route of a VDAC after two, I would yeah. need to switch providers. <laughs> So I kind of left it there because I wasn't even sure, you know, when we would have our third or whatever. So I did once my second turned one and I found out I was pregnant. I did immediately start researching providers in my area who were not just VBAC positive, but after two. And especially, I mean, I kind of found myself in a unique position, even like researching online and trying to gather information that way. I could find some VBACs after two, but a lot of them had done a vaginal birth at some point previous. And so I was, you know, unproven is what the word kept coming up. VBAC, you know, two C-sections with an unproven pelvis was the word that, you know, I was like, oh, well, that's kind, you know. And so I was trying to find them and I did, I found one who was about 30, 45 minutes away from my house who people just raved about and said that she was very pro-VBAC and if anybody could do it, it was her. And Mm -hmm. so I met with her and just kind of talked through like, here's the situation, brought the records of, you know, what the first two births had been like and I mean, she did say, you know, it does look like you really gave a good effort in pushing in your first two. It wasn't like they prematurely kind of switched you from laboring to a C-section, but she was like, you know, we can, she was totally willing to do it if I was. And that's really all I was looking for. I was like, I'm okay with it being a C-section, but I want it to be because of this pregnancy, you know, because of something that goes on in this pregnancy or this labor, not just, well, your history says that you have to do C-sections. So I was so excited. And I I kept telling her too, I'm like, I'm really okay with if it ends up being a C-section. I just wanted the chance to even have it be on the table. I want to try. Yeah, I wanted to try. And because, especially with my first, because I had gotten so close, I kept telling her like, I'm so close. I can taste it. You know, like I was right there. So just after that first meeting, I was like, this is the doctor for me for sure. Um, So switch to her and love her. So she was, yeah, again, she was pro VBAC. And then at about nine weeks pregnant with him, I was sitting on the couch one day and stood up to walk from the living room to the kitchen and had a huge gush of blood under the floor at nine weeks. And so that was extremely alarming. And it was in the middle of the afternoon. So I called my doctor and they only had a midwife in at that point, And they said that they had to do possible miscarriage appointments with an OB. And so I was kind of reeling with what do I do? And I continued to bleed pretty heavily. So I did end up going to the ER. And so I was about nine weeks along, uh, was in there for quite a while. The resident couldn't find the baby at all. And then the attending came in and pretty much found him instantly. So that was a big relief, but he was kind of like, okay, your baby is there. Your baby has a heartbeat. We can see his heart, but you are bleeding a lot. And so I went and up to the radiology and had a intravaginal ultrasound um, and then went to my doctor the next day and I had a subchorionic hemorrhage covering like 58% 
percent of the uterus. Wow. So it was it was big very yeah, it was very big. <laughs> it was like yeah, I remember her showing me the picture. She's like, Okay, here's your uterus and she kinda circled it with her pen and yeah. she was like in this gray, you know, this really white gray part all the way around this half is that hemorrhage. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean at that point I was still only you know, nine weeks pregnant. And so she was like really, you know, there's nothing you can do but wait. So I did at that point I was put on pretty much everything up to bed rest, like no pelvic rest, rest, no lifting, Mm -hmm. you know, nothing like that for two weeks. And I did pretty much that whole two weeks, I did bleed. And it got more like spotting and kind of started to dry up and change to brown, which was all good signs. But it was still just two weeks of like, every time, you know, every time I go to the bathroom, just be like, Oh, my goodness, what is this? What it you know, because that was, like I had said, my first two were so smooth, and I had nothing like that. So that was brand new. So that lasted for about two weeks. And then two weeks after that initial appointment with her where she said it was 55% covered, it was almost completely gone at the two week. Well, good. (laughs) So that was, yeah, it cleared up. It was so like, I had never even heard that word before subchorionic hemorrhage, but I was like, it went from so alarming of like this can't possibly end up well to yeah. like, okay, it's, you know, it's gone and we're going to progress like still normal. Pregnant? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Still yeah. pregnant. Baby's good. You're good. So, I mean, that was huge to go in two weeks later and have her basically be like, all right, we're moving on. Like we're good. Yeah. You know? And I was like, because just, you know, I spent two weeks doing nothing and, right. you know, just right. thinking like, okay, I have no idea what's going on inside my own body at this very moment, you know? So that kicked off the pregnancy really just already really different than the other two. So we, you know, I got kind of by like 18 weeks or so when we were getting close to like the anatomy scan and all that stuff was when we started also talking about labor. And I was in my mind, I was pretty convinced that that had changed what labor and delivery would be like. And she was Mm. like, not at all. Like, you know, that's not a warning sign for the way that your labor is going to go or anything like that. But Mm -hmm. in my mind, because my two very easy pregnancies had ended in C-sections, I was like, okay, well, now this is the first time that I had any sort of complication. So now that must mean, oh, for sure, you're going to be a C-section. She was like, oh, not at all. They're pretty unrelated in terms of your hemorrhage healed and the baby was good. There's no issues with placenta or anything like that. So I felt like my third one was an education, if nothing else. I was like, okay, I am learning so many things. (laughs) (laughs) So about 20 weeks is when we had the really like knowledgeable conversation about VBAC. And, you know, now that the pregnancy is halfway through and she did, I don't even know like what it was or what it was called, but she did some sort of like risk factor analysis of Mm -hmm. the VBAC. And she had some tool that she used and she said that if it came back, as like 70% likely that she says, she tells patients to go for it. If it comes back like under 60, then she's kind of like, well, you might be better off with a repeat C-section. And if you want it to be your last pregnancy, um, she was like, you know, maybe that just makes you feel like you would feel more comfortable with a C-section because it's the only thing you've known or whatever. So I came back. So she said under 60, she recommends a C-section over 70. She recommends going for the V-back. And I came back at 66%. So I was right in the middle. (laughs) And she was like, I know I was like, okay. And she was like, so it's really up to you. And I was like, okay. So I wanted to do the V-back. I mean, that was really, cause I kind of felt like, okay, if you have three C-sections, that's just what you need to do. But at two, I kind of felt like, 
like, I can do this. So, and I had really like, one of the things that I really, you know, why I reached out to you and wanted to do this was because in my own research, I just felt like I couldn't find a lot of stories about this kind of situation. There's not a lot. No. And there's not. And really, and like I said, someone doing a VBAC after two who had never done a vaginal birth before. Like I had found a couple where it was like the mom's like fifth baby and she had had, you know, three vaginal births and then two C-sections or whatever. But it was really a struggle for me to find not only like professional information, but also just casual personal experiences in the same kind of situation. So I remember my husband at one point saying when I was like 30 weeks along and we were still, you know, going with the VBAC, I remember him saying like, if this actually happens, you need to talk about it, you know? So I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So he, we got all the way. So he was due September 15th. And I went into labor with him on September 12th in the evening, kind of similar to my first labored on my own in the night, kind of on and off, would sleep a little bit, wake up a little bit, feel the contractions. And then I remember around on the 13th, which was, I believe, a Thursday, around 8 a.m. is when, again, that switch, like I, all three of them, I felt that where you go from that, like, the latent labors or the active where it was like all of a sudden it went from kind of random to like, I can tell you on the dot when these are going to happen. Um, so I felt that and then I was like, all right, it's time to go. So we went with the provider switch. I did also have to switch cities and hospitals. So everything was pretty new in that regard. We were driving in the opposite direction to a hospital. I never, I did do a tour of the hospital, but I had never like been in it really yeah. besides just the tour. So that was all new. Drove there, did the whole triage. I was about at a seven when I went in. And my contractions had slowed down in the drive because the drive was about 30 to 40 minutes. But I had just had an appointment like 48 hours before that. And at the appointment, I had been a four. So she had said, because, you know, you've gone from a four to a seven, you're obviously making progress. So they did keep me, which I think that's everyone's kind of fear is going in and having them say, go home. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very thankful that with, you know, with all three of mine, that didn't happen. So kept me and I checked in around nine in the morning. I got an epidural pretty much right away. Again, for similar reasons, I did pass out when I was getting the epidural. So that was new. (laughs) That was a new thing (laughs) that hadn't happened before. They said that I had not had enough of the fluid. Is your blood pressure? So my blood pressure. Yeah. yeah. So like for the two hours after I passed out, I, my blood pressure kept dropping and I had to have some sort of IV fluid or IV medicine to kind of keep it up. So that, yeah, this whole third birth, it was just like totally different from all the other ones. Felt like, you know, this little bit of drama every turn of like, okay, now we're at the hospital and like, it looks like you're going to have a great VBAC. Oh, now you passed out. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I was just like, I mean, we were almost laughing at that point because I was just like, okay, this is just totally different. So maybe this really will turn out different than the other ones, you know? So I labored, that was probably around noon and I labored from like noon to three. I used a peanut ball laying in bed to kind of help with the progression and just, you know, knowing that we had had position issues shoes before with baby. So I'm pretty tall. I'm almost six foot. So I was, I had this very large peanut ball in the bed trying to keep just my knees in the right position and hips and all that stuff. And I really did like, as opposed 
to my second one, I really liked the, I don't know what the level of the epidural was, but I liked that I could feel what was going on, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't like excruciating pain. So it was like, like I could tell when I was having a contraction and I could kind of focus on breathing, even though I wasn't like feeling that intense pain at the moment. Mm -hmm. So then by like 245-ish, they checked me and I was at a 10 and I was surprised because, you know, with the epidural, I was kind of like, oh, things are progressing nicely. It'll be a few more hours. And they're like, nope, you're, you're ready to go. So it did, that was a pretty stark contrast between with my first one where I was like telling them I was ready to push, you know, cause I was totally unmedicated. And now with my third one, I was being told it was time to push. So that was different, but they, you know, got, sat me up, got me in position um, and pushed probably like 30 to 40 minutes. And I remember I kept closing my eyes and pushing and, you know, trying to do the right thing. And I, my favorite moment was my doctor said, open your eyes and look at your baby. Because oh, <laughs> um, he was, chills. I know, <laughs> I do too, just saying it because I, I think in my head, I was like, you know, well, I'm trying and this is exciting and they're excited. But at the same time, I've been here before, you know, I've done the pushing part and it didn't turn out the way I was wanting to. Yeah. So, you know, the nurse was counting down from 10 and I was pushing. And I was just so focused on doing that over and over that I just loved when she said that because I was like so focused on pushing, but at the same time in my head kind of thinking, you know, okay, be prepared for them to say he's in this position and you need right. to go do the C-section because that's right. just what I had known. So when she said that and I like opened my eyes and looked down and his head was right there, I was like, oh my gosh. So like the excitement in the room was just huge because yeah. I mean, for me and for, you know, for them too, I mean, I think my provider as well was kind of like, woohoo, we did the VDAC after two, you know? So, I mean, and he came out so smooth and, you know, crying right away. And mm -hmm. he went, now it did help. He was, he was seven pounds, 13 ounces. And my other two were eight, nine and eight, seven. Okay, so, so he was, smaller. he was a little over half a pound smaller than yeah. both of them. So I'm sure that that worked in my favor, but also, I mean, just the position, he was just in the right position and all that good stuff. So I just, I mean, that was so surreal to be sitting there and being like, oh my gosh, I had him. Like he's here. He came out of me. You know, I didn't need the C-section. And just even, I remember laying there thinking, Somebody told me I was a C-section mama and now here I am and I just pushed the baby out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't done it, but there's been so many times where I'm like, I should just send a letter to her and be like, here's my third baby that didn't come out by C-section. Because <laughs> I think, I mean, obviously I'm not a professional, but I think, I know you say this all the time, like you never know pregnancy to pregnancy. Like it was just such a confidence boost to me to be like, okay, someone who's a doctor told me you give birth by C-section, that's what you do. And then I came along, you know, just a year and a half later and did it a totally different way. That is so so awesome. that, yeah, I really, because of that experience, I'm such a huge advocate of of switching providers if you need to yes. and really finding someone that just jives with what your goals are for your pregnancy. Yeah. And that was just so important to me. And I'm just so thankful that I found somebody who was totally willing to do, to give me the chance, you know, yeah, and just um, to be on the same page, like just yeah. for you guys to be on the same page. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Because after that second one, it, you know, it was pretty clear, even though I felt taken care of with my first two, it was pretty yeah. clear that if I were to have a third, our goals would not be the same. Right. So finding that doctor who was like, yep, I, you know, I'll go for, I'm willing to go for it with you, all that good stuff. And so I was just thrilled. And now, you know, if anybody who talks, you know, or, or is looking for someone 
who is willing to do that, I'm always recommending her because I'm just like, you know, not even necessarily because she should be your doctor, but just because going around and talking to different providers and asking them just ended up being such a worthwhile thing for me. Absolutely. So that was the exciting, you know, hooray for that third baby. Now recovery, I feel like now, you know, I've done both. So I've done the C-sections and I've done the vaginal birth and I was expecting vaginal delivery to be just like world easier. And it was easier in many regards. I remember being in the hospital before I only had to stay for 24 hours. So that was new. Like my other ones, I had stayed three nights with the first one, two with the second one. So this was like barely at the 24 mark. They were like, well, this was a vaginal birth and this was your third baby. You're out of here. You know, go home. You're good. And I remember still being there and having given birth like 10 hours before that and putting on my own shirt. And I remember being like, I couldn't do that with my first two. I like I, because of the C-section star, I just couldn't even lift my arms above my head. Mm -hmm. So I remember putting my own shirt on and being like, I just put my own shirt on and I just went to the bathroom by myself. And you know, and so like those things, it was, it was, but like just such a marker of like, it really was different. I had a second degree tear that had stitches. So that made the recovery more difficult once I got home. Um, Once the medicine wore off and I was moving more and all that stuff. So it was like, in a lot of ways, it really was easier than Mm -hmm. the C-sections. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, it's not like recovering from giving birth, no matter how you give birth is hard. (laughs) And so it was like, just having the mobility, you know, even like with the C-sections, not being able to lift the baby, it was really nice, especially because I had two other kids. It was like, I need to be able to lift my kids. Yeah. So I was, you know, able to lift him right away and loved being able to do that. In, in my recovery, I had a few of the stitches that either like moved or poked or something. So I had to go back and get those trimmed or repaired. And that was really painful. Yeah. Um, so that was a hard part of recovery. But once that happened, then it was like the timeline of recovery was so much quicker than with mm-hmm. the C-sections. Yeah. So I was so thankful for that again, because this was, you know, at the time I had a just turned three, a one and a half and a newborn. Yeah. And so being able to be mobile was so helpful just to our family as a whole. So that was really, really helpful. And, and breastfeeding went really smooth with him. He latch the best, the quickest. And I don't know if, you know, that's because of labor and delivery or just the baby or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, combination of all of them, but he did do really well. And just personality wise, he's my calmest. And so he was more a baby in the middle of the night who would just kind of grunt and moan when he wanted mm-hmm. to be fed in terms of my second was Aww. and still is a screamer. <laughs> and so it was Aww. like, Oh, like this to go from that, where he was like, he makes his opinions known very loudly. My second yeah. one does. And now my third one is more like, oh, maybe if, you know, mom, if you have time, can you feed me, you know? And so it was that personality trait of his was so just made the recovery more gentle. And we got down the whole, you know, timing of midnight feeds and all that stuff. So that went really well. In terms of breastfeeding, just looking at all three, I did progressively breastfeed a shorter period of time with all three. I know some Mm -hmm. people go longer with all three, but with my third. So he went on reflux meds pretty much right away after he was born, which is tons of spinning up and screaming and pulling his knees to his stomach and all that stuff. So he did that. I breastfed him for about four months. And then I tried to do a combination of formula and breast milk. 
with him, which I had done with my first two, and it was not going over well. So he actually ended up having a milk protein allergy. So our cow's milk protein allergy. So my milk was fine, but introducing this cow's milk formula was not going over well with his belly at all. So we went through the whole like trying out you know, I remember at one point my cabinet had like six different kinds of formula in it because I was trying a bunch of them. So he used Nutriamogen. We switched to that at the pediatrician's recommendation and it was like night and day within 24 hours. Like he went from sleeping only like 20 minutes at a time to like two hours. And, you know, so he was, this poor little belly was probably, I know, I know. And that I felt terrible because it was like, okay, not only am I giving you something that's not sitting well, but I'm basically having to like experiment with you, you know, and see like maybe this one, maybe you need gentle, maybe you need, you know, low lactose or whatever. And so it just ended up that the Nutramogen one was the one that made a difference for him. And he had that all the way from four months to about 10 months. And then at 10 months, he was actually able to do like 50-50 regular formula and Nutramogen. And then, and I was kind of thinking, you know, okay, maybe he's going to be lactose intolerant or have a milk allergy. And our pediatrician was like, nope, at one, you always try cow's milk because they can grow out of it. And so he told us to try the cow's milk. I was so skeptical and I almost felt bad giving it to him because I was like, I remember what you were like, you know, when you were really little and what this did to you, but he was totally, totally fine. Hmm. So he drinks regular cow's milk now and had a pretty significant cow's milk allergy as a little baby that he completely grew out of and just drinks regular milk now. So he's- Yeah, he's like 13, 14 months now. And yeah, so he, once he turned one, we were able to switch from that. So like I said, I did progressively breastfeed less and less, which I mean, I think that was partly just due to how close together my kids were and just the amount of time it took to be able to sit down and kind of make that schedule. And especially like I never was one that produced much milk. So I needed Mm -hmm. to pump extra. And I was like, okay, I have, I'm home alone with a three-year-old, a one and a half year old and a newborn. And I'm supposed to hook my up to a pump for 20 minutes. And really that was when I like, at that point I had not even noticed that there were pumps that you could be more mobile or, you know, walk around. So if other moms are in those situations where they've got lots of littles and really busy, like that, if I have a fourth, that is very intriguing to me, having Mm -hmm. a pump that I can stick in my shirt and go about my day while I'm doing that. Yeah. Um, Like the willow or the, yeah. Willow. Yeah. Yeah. I think those would be super helpful to be able to kind of multitask and do that. Cause I always kind of felt like, okay, I'm hooked up to a machine and I can't move. And Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, just the nature of the not producing tons of extra milk on my own and also just having those kids close together. I, mm-hmm. I did progressively breastfeed for a shorter period of time with each yeah. of them, but they're all, you know, they were all good. And especially with my first one, I pretty quickly got over just the way the first birth went and everything. It was like, okay, things are not going to go the way that you think they are. Right. They're also still going to be fine, you know? Right. And just so motherhood like, overall. <laughs> yes. It, yeah. And even in life, I mean, it's yeah. just like you have the way you think it's going to go and it's right. probably not going to look like that, but it's also probably going to be fine. Right. And so, you know, all three are healthy and had totally different births and totally different feeding experiences. But yeah, so that's, that is, so, that is all three of yeah, them. <laughs> that is so amazing, Carly. Thank you so much for sharing. I mean, that was like, you gave so many different experiences and like so much information. And I'm sure that somebody who's listening to this can really, really benefit from your stories because 
gosh, like I told you, like I got chills when you were talking about like having your third one and like him, you know, coming out and her yeah. to you. So thank you so, so much for being yeah. here and sharing all of these stories. I know you are on social media, right? So can you just remind listeners, you know, if they want to follow along, if they yeah. want to follow you, where they can kind of find you on the internet? For sure. Really easy. I'm on Instagram at debtfree.mom. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for letting me just share. And like I said, just hoping to reach out. And if there's a mom kind of in a similar situation like I was um, and just thinking like, okay, somebody labeled me this way. Is there another option? Just really encouraging them that it really does happen. And even if you haven't had a vaginal birth before, that there is still the chance. And and yeah, and there are providers that will let you even try. And that's really all I wanted was just to be able to try. So I hope to encourage other moms that might be in a similar place. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So that is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. You probably follow me on Instagram because that's probably where you came from. But if you don't, head over to Instagram and follow me at mommy.labornurse for more. That is certainly where I am most active. I also now have a separate Instagram for just this podcast, so I encourage you to follow my second account at mommylabornurse.podcast as well if you want podcast updates. Again, that is at mommylabornurse.podcast. As always, you guys know that I also have a website where I have tons of articles all about pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, newborn stuff, and more at www.mommylabornurse.com. I want to hear more from you on how much you love this episode of the podcast or how you think I can improve. So leave me a comment on one of my pictures, send me a DM or send me an email with all the love. All right, guys, I will see you same time, same place next week. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.